the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To stand on for life. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. the Tuesday show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Them for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. We need you to call 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630- KSLR, that's 6305757. You can email questions to us by mailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else is hands free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, while we await your phone calls, I'll get right to questions. We have nothing going on Tuesday. So the first one is an anonymous. And this one really, really touched one of my pet peeves. Uh, Anonymous asks, why do Bible teachers, especially on the radio, ask for money all the time? Anonymous, all I can tell you is I scream at the radio and the same thing. I want you to think about something. We have 26 minutes in a 30-minute teaching program. Now, this is different. This is a live program. I could I could spend the whole hour asking for money. But on our teaching program, we have 26 minutes. We know it's the Word of God and the Spirit of God moving through the Word of God that changes people's hearts. And in the 26 minutes, we've got a 30-second intro, a 30-second outro usually, And that means we really have 25 minutes where we can let the Word of God go forth. So many teachers now, almost all of them, in fact, are breaking up their programs to do multiple commercials, things they're selling, uh, how to become a legacy partner of this or a, or a, a partner in the ministry to keep us on the air in your area. And it is one of the most frustrating things in the world to me. So here's the only thing I can suggest. Stop listening to those who are asking for money. Now, radio time is expensive. I wish it wasn't, but radio time is expensive. The stations have to make a living. So we get that. But I think the thing that we need to remember is that when God asks us to do this, one, it's sacrificial. All of our giving to God is sacrificial. But I don't think it's intended that we should look for the people in the audiences to pay for the airtime. It's either a ministry. David said, I will not give that to the Lord, which costs nothing. And I think we're trying to make money. Some of us are trying to make money instead of just the word going forth. So I, I, I just stop listening to those that do. I, I, I think you're going to find a hard time finding them. Uh, but I, I just wish they wouldn't. I think it cheapens the gospel. I think it cheapens the message. Some of these guys are wonderfully, wonderfully gifted teachers. And I'd rather hear them teaching the Word than asking for money or trying to convince me that they're going to go off the air if I don't help. 
So that's all I can say. Anonymous, I made this promise to this radio audience before. We will never ask for money. We'll never let you know what our needs are. Um, on our teaching programs, the half-hour programs, uh, we get 26 minutes. I use all 26 minutes to uh, teach the, the Bible. We, we, we've never had any special offers. We've never had any um, uh, generous people will match or double your 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 gift to the Lord. Um, we don't say we have a free love gift for your love offering of. We're just not going to do it. I think it's disingenuous, and I think it's absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible. There are some teachers, I mean, really, really good teachers. I won't mention names. But I can no longer listen to them, and I used to love them. In fact, their teaching is still wonderful. But um, I just think that's, um, frankly, it's embarrassing to me as a, as a Bible teacher, somebody who's on the radio. We're on the radio, anonymous, um, in different regions in this nation. Um, we, we, through our, our website and, and uh, KSLR, who's been generous enough to, to, to promote our program, um, uh, this program goes literally all over the world. We've had callers from all over the world and uh, we've never once asked anyone at all um, to support us. Now, people are generous and they give, and we're grateful for that. But they do it because God puts it on their heart or because they've been blessed. And they do it because they want to, not because I ask them to. Here is a question from Gina. I say Gina because we just had Pastor Gino at our uh, men's retreat and he taught here this past Sunday at Calvary Chapel. Gina says, why does God allow evil to continue? Gina, I get questions similar to this a lot. And the answer is simple. Uh, God, in his patience, being unwilling that any should perish, allows evil to continue. Now here's the thing we have to think about and nobody thinks about it like this. If God would say, okay, I'm fed up, no more evil. Well, Gina, that means judgment would come on sinners. I want to say that again. Judgment would come on sinners. But that doesn't accomplish God's process, purpose. That's not what, what we want. It's not what he wants. So he allows evil to continue. By judging sinners, let me tell you what I mean. Um, Gina, I'm, I'm going to assume you're a Christian. Everybody, I assume that for the people that call in on this program. If Jesus were to say, okay, I'm fed up with evil, we're going to stop, I'm going to judge all evil, that means Jesus would have to judge everyone who sins. Now, there's a lot of evil in the world, and we see it all around us. But what about the man who gets drunk what about the man or woman who looks at pornography or the professing Christian who says well well, I'm saved but I love this man or I love this woman and we're committed to each other so sex is a part of our relationship God would have to judge all of that you see God can't just say okay well here's the line for evil if it's worse than this I'm going to judge it if it's better than this I'm going to be patient God can't do that because God is so holy he has to judge all evil and literally that means that people who you care about Gina people that you're praying for would be judged and spending eternity in hell if Jesus said okay no more evil now let me also say this Gina and this is where as believers we've got to look up and forward. A time is coming when evil is going to be stopped. A time is coming when Jesus is going to return to this earth and evil, all of it, in every degree, it's all going to be judged by the Lord. That time is just not now. There are still people who are going to be saved. And until that last Gentile gets saved and the church is taken out of here via the rapture, um, until we come back uh, at the end of the Great Tribulation, uh, evil is going to have its way until it doesn't any longer. And that's exactly what's going to happen. So in his patience, Gina, being unwilling that any should perish, God currently allows evil to continue. 
Here is a mom. <laughs> I like these questions. Uh, Pastor Ron, what is your church's position on teen dating? Well, a mom, um, we don't really have a church position. Uh, that's not the church's business. Now, we tell everybody, young and old alike, um, to, to in relationships with the opposite gender, we tell them to honor God, to be holy. We tell young men all the time, this is God's daughter you're dating. We tell older men, this is God's daughter you're dating. We tell the women that you say God brought this man into your life. Well, do you thank him by being unfaithful, unholy? But see, these are parents' decisions. Uh, we don't believe that dating is good or bad. We just Treat it the way it is. It is a real thing. Um, we're certainly not uh, going to go back into the history books and say, well, we're going to start courting. Um, you know, that's not the world that we live in. But what we want to do, a mom, is to teach children, young people, how to honor God in their dating. I think it's unreasonable to suggest that people shouldn't date, but... Um, that's how they get to know one another. It's how you get to know somebody's life. I, I had the greatest uh, time today. Paul and I had a pre-marriage counseling session. Um, a 31-year-old man and 27-year-old woman, they're getting married uh, later in the year. And, um, th- th- I mean, they're so serious about their walk with Jesus, so serious about being holy. And their relationship is 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 founded on the Word of God. I would never tell them, don't date, either get married or don't get married, but don't date. They're doing it exactly the right way, and God is so pleased. So it's just not for our church to have a position. These are decisions that need to be made by the parents, Christian parents in the home. One final thing. Um, I always caution parents from being on the extremes. The no dating, no matter what. This is my daughter. Um, you know, that's putting the forbidden fruit in front of them. It's going to just tempt them even more. On the other side, oh, yeah, I trust my, my son or my daughter. They wouldn't do anything wrong. Those extremes are very, very dangerous. So if your child has earned, if your teenager has earned a degree of trust, then trust them until you can't trust them anymore. Let them know that's what you're doing. You're watching. You're going to be paying attention. And as long as you can trust them, then you're going to treat them like responsible young men and women. And you're going to trust them along with the Lord. But I just don't think it's for the church to have an official position. A lot of damage has been done by those uh, old books, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And by the way, the author of I Kissed Dating Goodbye has uh, come to a, a, a place where he has forsaken the faith altogether. And... Um, that's just uh, that's why we kind of get silly okay let's do a question from Ronnie from our I don't know what that buzzing is about Um, from Ronnie from our email inbox do you think letting children believe in Santa is wrong? I never want to lie to my children, but I don't want to deprive them of this great holiday Um, Ronnie I do think I think lying is always wrong and, and letting them believe in Santa, encouraging a belief in Santa is wrong. I also don't think that um, de- you're depriving your children of the holiday by telling them the truth. I think it represents a wonderful opportunity for uh, your children to see what the real Christmas is all about. So, yeah, I believe very strongly that lying is always wrong. And uh, I think you enrich the holiday. I think there's still all of the elements, giving gifts. Um, uh, I, I personally don't see what Santa adds to the holiday. Uh, I realize that we like that my dad used to say, Santa, I, I remember my dad would take us up and say, yeah, got to get your shower, got to get your bath now. And when we come out of the bath, all the stuff be there. Cause, oh, you miss Santa. Uh, the problem with lying to them, Ronnie, is that when they grow up and they find out that you lied to them about that, they may find out that you've lied to them about other things. And uh, I think I think always being truthful is the best thing. And I agree that Christmas is a great holiday. I mean, a really great holiday. 
But at the same time, um, Christmas is about Jesus. So I hope that helps, Ronnie. Thank you. Here is another anonymous question from our email inbox. Is it okay to live, listen to Calvinist preachers due to their mistaken idea of God's predestination of who's going to heaven? Uh, that concept is so far from God's personality. Uh, is that the only difference in their theology that's incorrect? Uh, anonymous, depending on your level of discernment, I think it's okay to listen to preachers who are orthodox. And by that, I mean they're not preachers. Um, um, I, I've always listened to uh, preachers who are Calvinist. Uh, Alistair Begg, I enjoy listening to him. Uh, John MacArthur, um, I, I can enjoy listening. I used to enjoy listening a lot more, but it seems like he's getting a little bit grumpy these days. But, um, um, I mean, John MacArthur's really solid. Um, Vody Bauckham, uh, I really like listening to, to, to Vody. And um, um, I just don't listen to them when they're talking about predestination or election because they're completely wrong. You are absolutely right that the idea of predestination and in particular double predestination, God chooses those who are going to heaven and those who are going to hell. Um, that is contrary to God's character, his nature. Um, and that is the primary difference in their theology. Now, here's something to understand. Um, not all Reformed Bible teachers um, have the same theology. Uh, Reformers, pre- uh, uh, Presbyterians, uh, or, or, or others, um, you know, they have a very different um, eschatology. Uh, so there are differences between them, but in this area of predestination or election, uh, that's where they really miss the boat. So I, I, I'm, I'm happy to listen to them, but I'm not going to listen to what I know is wrong. So again, depending on your level of discernment, Anonymous, I think um, it's okay to listen to them. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Princess. And Princess, we're sorry is what we got last Friday. We're just getting to it today. From our email inbox, 18,808 days together since you met today. Oh, I know what this is. Congratulations on your 49th anniversary. Live the adventure, Princess. Princess, thank you very, very much. Really. Paula, you've put Paula's listening. Paula, you put up with me for 18,808 days the other day. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, that's how long it's been since we met, a little over 51 and a half years. And uh, on our 49th anniversary last Thursday, uh, I'm grateful. Princess, that's sweet of you. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Carl. I know we won't sin in heaven, because we won't have a sin nature. Why didn't God just make us all that way in the beginning? Carl, interesting question. The, the truth is God did make us that way in the beginning. Remember, Adam and Eve were perfect. They were perfect. They weren't born with a sin nature. Now, everybody since Adam has been born with a sin nature because we inherit it through him. But uh, God made everything perfect. You know, questions like this, Carl, sometimes presuppose that God's responsible. He should have stopped us. But but God gives us all a choice. And just as he had to give Adam and Eve a choice. In fact, let's go back further. He had to give Lucifer a choice. And the angels that fell with him, he had to give them a choice. Otherwise, their worship wouldn't be genuine. Their love for him wouldn't be sincere. So God gave them a choice in the same way God gives us all a choice. Now, because we inherited Adam's sin nature, he's called our federal head. That's a theological term. Um, we inherited that. And sin and temptation is appealing to us. And the sin nature, it's like being thirsty and then temptation comes. It's like it quenches the thirst. So we want to sin because of our sin nature. But that's not the way it was in the beginning. It's just the reality of being a human being born in this world. 
So, Carl, we won't have a sin nature there. Our bodies will be just like Jesus's. But we do have it here. Now, here's what he's done for us. He's given us the power, the ability to overcome temptation. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. It doesn't say Carl is faithful or Pastor Ron is faithful. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will always provide a way out. So we don't have to sin, Carl. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. But when we do, we have an advocate with the Father. And I love that. So, Carl, thanks for the question. Let's go to Harold on line one. Harold, thanks for calling. Good to hear from you. Okay, good, Pastor Ron. Uh, thanks for saying mm-hmm. that. And, uh, oh, I, I really enjoyed uh, the Bible show last Friday, I believe, when you had the, your guest on. That was a real good show. I, I believe it was last Friday. But my yes, it question was. today was Second uh, Kings chapter 6. Uh, you know, the floating axe, that's the topic of the, of, of the thing. And to me... When I, I was going to ask your opinion is kind of history repeating itself a little bit. If I understand that chapter right, uh, the Israelites, or the people that was in Jerusalem, was kicked out of Israel by, by God because they were going back to child sacrifice. There's a story there where I'm hungry, I need your baby, your firstborn, and then the lady didn't do it. So I was, and today there's so much. Oh. We lost Harold. Harold, I'm sorry. I, let me let me ask since your question about Second Kings six, and uh, I, I'm not sure where you're going with this last part, but but your phone cut out on us. That's actually one of my favorite counseling passages of Scripture. Second um, Kings six. Those of you who are familiar with it, this is um, the prophet Elisha. Uh, and uh, he's uh, the man of God. There's school of prophets. It, it would be sort of like a, a Bible college today. And uh, he was asked to, to go along and help them establish this this school. And uh, as, they, as the, the, the people were working, building it, uh, one of the young men um, uh, lost his axe head. Now, axe heads in the ancient world were expensive. Not only that, that this one was borrowed. And so he comes to the man of God and he says, uh, I, I've lost my axe head and it was borrowed. In other words, I'm going to have to pay for this. I'm going to be in debt the rest of my life. I can't do it. And he's asking the man of God to help him. Now, the axe head, a couple of things about the axe head. Um, clearly, the young man who borrowed it should have taken care of it. It was a gift. It was to him on loan. And the strings, they, they, they bound them together with strings with ropes. And, and he wasn't paying attention. The, the strings were clearly loose. And um, um, because they were loose, the axe had lost. Or was lost. What Elisha said to him is critical, Harold. Elisha said, where did you lose it? And he wasn't speaking to him uh, generally, he was being very, very specific. And he was saying, go put it right there. So he had somebody else's tool. It was a gift. And he lost it through benign negligence. And he was told, where did you lose it? Now, here's what's really important, Harold. When we don't use our gifts, our tools, the gifts of the Spirit that God has given us, when we lose our passion for the Lord, we've got to go back to that place where we lost it. We've got to find it. Now, he threw the stick in, the cross, this picture of the cross. It's a reversal of the curse. And the axe head floated, which was miraculous. And, uh, Harold, the, the key here is that when it came up, he found it. But he had to go back to the place he lost it, the exact place. And in counseling, I tell people, I don't know where you lost your relationship with God, where you lost your love, where where you started taking God's gifts, his tools to you for granted. But you've got to go back to that place, repent, and let God bring you through the process again. So that was the key. Harold, I know we've got you back on the line now. Does that help? And I didn't get the last part of your question. 
No, no, everything's fine. My phone was on a airplane mode or something, and it disconnected me. But I just oh. want to say thanks for answering. Thanks for answering the question, and I'll call back again another day. Oh, my pleasure, Harold. God bless you. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions, or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. You know, a lot of times when we are trying to, oh, well, okay, Lord, I should have done this, I should have done that. I think we, we want to skip steps. And God is really good. He doesn't want us to skip steps. So we, we have to go back to that place where we lost it. To the church at Ephesus, Jesus said, I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. they got to go back and remember. That's what he said. First to repent, then remember the height from which you've fallen. We do that, then we're going to be right back in that place where God had us in the first place. There's no skipping steps when it comes to the Lord. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. We have 30 minutes left. Let's go right to the phones. you got Ray on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, Pastor, can you hear me? I can hear you fine, Ray. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hey, I just got a question for you real quick. I heard a guy on the I do listen to the Christian radio station a lot, and I heard a gentleman, and uh, he was talking uh, about uh, in the Old Testament that uh, the Lord told the people to put a fence on their roofs. Uh, he said that people uh, back in that time had roofs where they would spend a lot of time on the roof. And the Lord told them to put a fence on it. And and I was just thinking if that's, you know, if that's, I didn't know if, you, if you're familiar with that passage or not. Mm-mm. Hmm. I, I'm not, Ray. I don't, I don't recall that. I have to really do some digging in. Okay. Well, all right. Well, that kind of maybe answers part of the question. Because I was thinking if that's the case, that the Lord told them to put a roof on there, that he was... He did it for a reason, and it was probably because he wanted for their protection, their safety. And I was just thinking, you know, that a lot of people nowadays, they're upset because they're asked to wear a mask. And so it would be, those, <laughs> you know, that would kind of, hey, this is for your protection and safety. Am I totally off base on that? Well, I, I think that the application there is a stretch, but I'd have to. I, I, I'm unfamiliar with the passage that says that they needed to put a roof. Roofs were were normal. Uh, you, you remember the the incident where uh, the 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 four friends brought a, a paralytic to Jesus, uh, and they lowered him through the thatched roof. So their their houses, the roofs were flat. And and um, uh, you're you're right. When David and Bathsheba uh, fell into sin, they were out on their roofs. It was a place to to cool off in the day. So it was normal that they'd be on the roofs. I'm just not familiar with the passage that says that. I I think the mask thing, Ray, and um, I don't want to open a can of worms for people. Uh, I, I think the mask thing is it, it's a matter of choice. We we've got the choice. Here in Texas, we don't have to wear masks, or we can choose to wear masks. I think the person that chooses to wear a mask um, should certainly not be criticized for doing it. I think the person that chooses not to wear a mask shouldn't be criticized as well. Uh, and, and, you know, this is such a difficult issue politically and socially um, because I think we all know that the masks don't really work. It's not really effective, and it just it just seems so pointless 
to do it. And I think we, we sort of get dug in a little bit. Um, uh, we were talking, I was at the airport last week, and I forgot to wear a mask into the airport and had to get a mask uh, while I was in there. Um, and I don't resent wearing the mask. It's a pain in the neck and it's it's irritating. But uh, I just think it's something, Ray, that we, we, we have to do based on on what we're doing. I've got a passage here. My my research guy got it here. Deuteronomy 22, 8, if you build a new house, you're to construct a railing around your roof so that you do not bring blood guilt on your house if someone falls from it. That's, yeah, that's not a fence. It's just that the, the I, I think with, if that's the verse that your friend is talking about, I think we're just talking about a railing and the purpose of the railing is to keep somebody else from falling uh, and and you would be guilty. So Deuteronomy 22, eight. verse 8, uh, is the passage of Scripture, I think, that, that refers to. But it's not a fence in the sense that that uh, we don't fall through something. It's just to keep somebody else from falling off the edge of the roof. And again, as I said, a lot of people were on the roof when when uh, that, that was just the way they were kind of chilled out uh, in, in that part of the world. That help at all, Ray? I'm sorry I couldn't be more specific. No, that's fine, and that's kind of the so the idea of a railing. It's for the protection of other people, right? And so, yeah, uh, that was the kind of that's the application, I guess, is, is from that perspective. And yeah. then I I look at it from the idea of like Romans twelve, and so uh, if uh, I think Romans twelve talks about you know not for us to if at all possible to live live at peace with other people, and so if, yeah. if somebody is requiring me to wear a mask. Uh, if I don't agree with it, but they've asked me to do it, and I'm called to do it, I'm called to be obedient, and so I'll wear yep. it. And it's not a big deal to me, and so it's not yep. my I, right. And I, because I'm supposed to, yep. I'm supposed I think, to honor the Lord. I, I, you know, it, I I think Ray, that's a healthy way to look at it. And my position has always been: if somebody, uh, a store owner, somebody invites me to their house or something. Uh, if they want me to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask, and I won't complain about it. That's just, it's their house, their rules, and I, I think that's the, the the appropriate response. I think you got it figured out well, Ray. Thank you very, very much. 340-95, you too, Ray. 340-95-85. Here is an anonymous, um, it's not really a question, uh, but um, I'm going to read it from our email inbox. Um, he or she says, I'm still going through your 2013 Exodus study. I've always pondered why the Jews almost immediately became doubtful and disobedient as soon as they were set free from Egypt. Your definition of anguish of spirit makes so much sense. Uh, they were still thinking like slaves. Uh, as a, They were Egypt as a type of the world. They still had that mindset. What an awesome reminder that the world has nothing to offer and to not let discouragement or our past keep us from what we know are God's glorious promises. It went perfectly with our study in Philippians where Paul tells the church, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, God is so good. His work is so true. Thank you for teaching it so faithfully. Thank you. Uh, for for listening to the 2013 Exodus study, that's a fun book to teach. At least most of it is fun, and uh, and I'm grateful that that you were blessed by it. You know, um, one of the things we always have to remember when we're talking about the Jews, uh, and and I, I think in that study I said something to the effect, you know, you can take the slave out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the slave. And um, you know, when when they were set free. Uh, miraculously and and almost um, uh, instantaneously, and they plundered Egypt. Uh, I think the Jewish people um, had expectations that this is what every day was going to be like. Once they were free from Egypt, every day was going to be miracle after miracle, blessing after blessing. And the truth is, the real world is a hard place. And every time they encountered difficulty, I mean, they plundered Egypt. They were just set free. They'd seen the Red Sea parted. They saw Pharaoh's army destroyed in the Red Sea they just traveled through. And yet the first time they were hungry, the first time they were thirsty, the first time they faced hardship, they started complaining. That's the spirit of slavery. And uh, that's what they did. So 
uh, we understand why they became doubtful, why they became disobedient. Um, the truth is, as believers, we have to understand that we're not much different. We've been set free from the power of sin, and yet so many of us professing believers are still trapped in sin. So the answer to why the Jews were the way they were is the same answer to why we are the way that we are. We forget the power of God. We forget the goodness of God. And like Israel, we forget to be grateful to God. And when those elements are missing, there's not going to be any power at all in your life. I appreciate very, very much the wonderful comment. Let's go to Ray on line one, a different Ray, I'm told. Ray, you're on the air. Well, thank you, Pastor Ron. It's a double ray, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a double ray. Uh, beans, uh, I'm probably one of the only few people left that are older than you. <laughs> Puts me in the <laughs> category uh, quite a bit. And uh, as far as the mask thing, I, I believe... The idea when, when you had said that they're not effective at all whatsoever and it's just a pain, uh, I do believe they are a pain because they're inconvenient. However, I think the uh, idea is that uh, they uh, afford people that you come in contact with, if you're wearing a mask, uh, the... the uh, feeling that they're not going to catch something that you have because, you know, obviously we're not allowed to ask people the color of their underwear or if they've been vaccinated <laughs> or anything else like that, you know. So, I mean, I, I go to stores and they say, well, it's highly recommended you wear a mask, you know, for the grocery store, for instance. And uh, when I encounter somebody, uh and they're not masked or they're half masked, uh, uh, which really makes it silly. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I, I realize that's ineffective. However, I think I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a, as well comforted by people not wearing masks as uh, people that are wearing masks trying to, you know, keep the, keep the, uh, virus, uh, you know, contained as much as, you know, they're able to in their own sphere. So I don't know if that makes any sense or if it's just yeah. paranoia or what, but I, I'm, I'm <laughs> uncomfortable around people. I have no idea where they've been or, you know, if they've been in a huge party the night before. And, you know, it, it just, if they don't have a mask on, I'm, I feel like I'm vulnerable. But I wear a mask, yep. um, no matter how you know uncomfortable it is. I just just to uh, you know try and uh, get along. <laughs> and I'll get off the phone if you have anything to say other than <clears throat> okay. <laughs> no, no, I call, I know your I know your heart, Ray. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate it. I know your heart. And I know I know your motives behind these things. I think one thing you said, and I think this is the key. It gives us the feeling that we're protected. And, 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 you know, the feeling doesn't really matter. What matters is the facts. And, um, you know, we can go all the way back to when this pandemic began and, and Dr. Fauci himself said the masks aren't going to stop it. The masks don't do any good. And then suddenly the government gets on this bandwagon, we've got a mask, and he changes his position. Uh, and the reality is, and you've seen the tests on, on uh, television news just as I have, uh, they don't stop this tiny, 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 tiny virus uh, from from being transmitted. Uh, uh, the, the truth is that that we can't be protected from this. And what's happened now? And I'm I'm not going to wax on and on about this, but what's happened now is that the people who were quarantined and really stayed as safe as they possibly could, they're now coming out and they're the ones that are being infected. And it doesn't matter seemingly whether they've been vaccinated or not, Ray. Um, uh, the, the numbers of breakthrough cases, uh, cases of, of COVID, breakthrough meaning uh, people who have been fully vaccinated, uh, the numbers of those cases is astonishing. And all I've said from the beginning is 
that we need to learn to live with this virus because it's not going away. You cannot protect yourself from it. When you come out, you are going to get it. And I think those of us in high-risk categories, whether it's age or health issues, um, I think we we need to be as healthy as we can. We need to understand. And if you feel you're more protected wearing a mask, then God bless you for doing that. But, But I just don't think we can deny the reality. You know, everybody wants to talk about the science says, but the real science out there says that masks don't help. Um, uh, you know, people that have been fully vaccinated shouldn't have to wear a mask to feel protected if the vaccines work. So this is the thing that we have to understand. Let me also share my heart on this. Um, Too often we're at polar opposites of issues like this. And a lot of it depends on our political positions. And it just shouldn't be that way. Um, I, I just sat with a young girl who's grown up in our church and I love her with all of my heart and she is a nurse in a COVID critical care unit and she is this young woman has seen more death more pain than anybody should have to see in their death in the last year and a half and it's overwhelmed her and she said to me when I'm wearing a mask At work, I know I have to do it. When I'm wearing a mask, uh, um, people criticize me for wearing it. And and I come to church in the mask, and I know people are judging me. But if I don't wear the mask, then people are criticizing me. And she said, I just don't know how much more of it I can take. And what I told her is, look, when you're at work, you do what you have to do. When you're at home or out in the street, you do what you want to do. And we need to understand that this virus has devastated people's lives. This isn't the flu. This isn't something that people like me, I've had COVID and, and, you know, we, we, I had almost no symptoms. Um, I was one of the fortunate ones, one of the blessed ones. And, 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 you know, when, when, I lost sense of taste and smell and nothing else stopped. I kept exercising. I mean, that's, I felt normal. And um, sometimes we have a tendency to just downplay, oh, this isn't any worse than the flu. And, and, and you know, we need to stop listening to the extremes on talk radio or, or on the news channels. What we need to do is make personal, calculated decisions having studied the information about what's best for us and for our family. And then we need the freedom to be able to do that. And we need to give other people the freedom as well. So it's a real thing. And so many lives have been devastated as a result. We can't pretend it isn't serious. It is. But we also can't hide for it. The only other comment I'll make is that as believers, now I'm not talking about unbelievers at all here, As believers, Ray, we can't live in fear. How is it even possible? I'll just use me as an example. I see people whose lives are falling apart every day. People that need to be loved. People that need to be hugged. People that need to be counseled. If I was so afraid of this virus that I stopped doing my job, I would no longer be effective in the calling that God has given me. Our COVID nurses, our doctors at Malta Medical, we're seeing scores of COVID patients. They don't turn them away because they're afraid they might get it. It's the ministry that we're called to and hurting people, the ministry that we're called to. I think about Mother Teresa. I'm not making any comment on her eternal state. But Mother Teresa really was a servant of God when she was in places exposing herself to all manner of disease. Just to hold a baby as that baby lay dying. So this is more than a Fox News or CNN news debate. This is real life. And it's a life that we have to be adjusted to 
and as servants of God, we have to keep ministering to the people without regard for our own health and safety. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate the opportunity to share my heart a little bit on that. Here is a question from... This is another anonymous one. A friend just committed suicide. How can I comfort his mom and dad? They're hurting so much. This is so painful. Um, I'm I'm sorry for your loss, first of all. Um, The devil is busy and people are taking their own lives. That's how life is when, when we get to a place that we're hopeless. I'm so sorry. I'm also sorry that I don't have better... News for you. You can't comfort his mom and dad. All you can do is be there for them. Grieve with them. Mourn with those who mourn. But there's nothing you can say. There's no answer or explanation about why it happened or 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 should we have known it. There's nothing you can do except be there with them. Be there for them. Now, one of our problems, Anonymous, in this world, it's so uncomfortable, so awkward for us to grieve with people. We want answers. You know, we want to fix it and make it better. And the truth is, we can't do it. So here's what you do. You just be there. Our son, Ronnie, when he was 16 years old, one of his best friends committed suicide. And I didn't even know the parents well. And remember, I wasn't saved back then. I didn't know the parents well. But but as soon as we got the news, we went over to the house. And um, his dad came out. And he looked at me and he said, Ron, that's my son, my son. And all I could do is hold him. And we were out there for about 15 minutes and they were bringing the body out. And he absolutely fell apart and just fell into my arms. And there was nothing I had for him. I wasn't a believer. I could just hold him and I felt so inadequate. But when you're a believer, you know that Jesus is hurting as well. And his heart is broken. And we can turn people's focus to him because he gets it. You don't say whether your friend was a believer, the family, his mom and dad are believers. If they are, you just point to Jesus. If they're not, you point to Jesus. So I'm sorry for your loss. Sorry for your pain. I'm sorry there's not a formula that'll fix things and make it better. They're just going to hurt and they're going to hurt for a very, very long time. Okay, we're inside four minutes already. This half hour has gone quickly. This is a question from Zach. Pastor, in a recent study, you said that the whole seven years of the Great Tribulation is God's wrath, but there are a lot of people who think that only the last three and a half years is his wrath. What's true? Um, uh, I, I know you, the same week I just did the Bible study on the, the, the rapture of the church um, and I'm sure that's the study you're referring to um, the great tribulation the judgments begin in chapter 6 the judgments begin in chapter 6 now the question is and these are pre-rathers or, or mid-tribbers They say, well, the wrath is at the three-and-a-half-year point of the Great Tribulation. Let me read to you chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. Remember, this is the first series of judgments, the seal judgments. And it says this, and this is clearly the first part of the Great Tribulation. It says, they called to the mountains and the rocks, and these are the people who are being judged. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the, here's the key, wrath of the Lamb. Verse 17 says, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Now, I don't think, Zach, it can be any clearer than that. 
This is the very beginning of the Great Tribulation. And twice in those verses, we're told that this is the wrath of the Lamb. And then it says the great day of their wrath, meaning the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So it's wrath and wrath. It's in the very beginning of the Great Tribulation. That's not at the three-and-a-half-year mark of the Great Tribulation. That's at the beginning. So if that's God's wrath, then that's when it begins. And remember that God cannot pour out his wrath on Christians because God's not angry with us. Our sins have been forgiven to judge the righteous with the wicked, according to Jesus when he spoke with Abraham. is something that God can't do. How could it be that the righteous judge of all the earth will judge the, the righteous with the wicked? And that, of course, is a reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. But the principle is God cannot judge his people. Judgment is for those who have rejected Jesus' sacrifice for their sins. So thank you for that. That's got one minute. Uh, I'll come back to this one tomorrow, but uh, let me just touch it quickly. This is for Mo. Why does God answer some prayers but not others? Mo, some prayers are in his will. Some are not. Some prayers have the wrong motive. Uh, and God can't answer those prayers. James says you have not because you ask not or because you ask amiss or with the wrong motive. So that's the beginning of the answer. I'll expand on this at the top of the program tomorrow. Thanks, Mo. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 at 4 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.